Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. Hey, let's jump into this this morning. We have been in a series called Taking It Back, and this is week number four of our series, and we said that in regards to taking it back, what that really signifies is that we're purposing to take back our life, take back our joy, take back our happiness, our smile, our livelihood. We are going to take it back because there is too much that has been coming against us, trying to keep us down, keep us under, and we're choosing no more. Amen. We're choosing to say, this is our year. This is our time. And doggone it by God, we are going to take it back. Right? And so when it comes to taking it back, we said that uh, it's something that God has made available to us. And so if we're going through life saying, God, I don't know where you're at. God, I don't know what's going on. God, it just seems like you're not doing what you said you do. Uh, Two things are a a part of that. One, we either don't know what we have and what Jesus came to provide. Or secondly, the enemy has stolen it from us. And if you don't know it by now, every single day of your life, he is endeavoring and working extremely hard to steal your livelihood. Steal your money, steal your kids, steal your marriage, steal your joy. Everything about your life, he is wanting to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what Jesus said he would come to do, right? But if you recall, we said this uh, last week. That in regards for us to really experience the joy that God has endeavored to give us through Christ, the Bible tells us that we must renew our minds. And renewing our minds concerning the Word of God is the foundation of our joy. And I failed to make mention of this last week in giving a simple definition of what renewing our minds is. And so for today, just to really, again, help us understand the simplest way I can express it as what renewing our minds is and what it looks like is that it means to lay down human thoughts and take on God's thoughts. Right? How many of you know that there are situations, decisions, and choices that each of us have to make, and there are times when we want to respond from the natural side of our man, and God says, wait a minute, there's a better way. Come on, husbands and wives. How many of you at times say, I am ready to respond from my natural man? (laughs) I'm ready to let you have it, right? And then God says, wait a minute. I got a higher way of doing things here. Why don't you just choose to love right now? Come on. So again, when there's things that do not line up with God's thoughts, we immediately say, God, I'm going to lay that down and I'm going to choose to take on your thoughts. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says that I know the thoughts that I have towards you, thoughts of hope and peace and that of an expected end. And so that tells us that if we're not experiencing these things that God came to give us through Christ, that we must not have the thoughts or understand the thoughts that God has towards us. Or we could say it this way, that I've been thinking wrong. How many of you know that it's easy to think wrong in certain situations? Come on. You know, you go check the bank account. And the money's not there, and what do you start thinking? 
what did she do? She went shopping, (laughs) right? Immediately, your thoughts start going somewhere. Something's out of place in the house. You start looking for your kids. What did you do, right? But the Bible tells us that we can think correctly in regards to God's thoughts towards us. And when we think like God thinks and understand his heart, then we can begin to experience and take back what the enemy has tried to steal from us and continues to try to steal from us. Amen? And so, with that being said, I want us to look at, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, if you have your Bibles. And I want us to look at... Just how God sees some things versus the way we see things. And in Hebrews chapter 11, this is one of those books that we have uh, labeled as the Hall of Fame concerning those that are heroes of the faith. And it begins to list all the people of God throughout the Old Testament that we had experiences of reading their stories. And God begins to really champion their faith. He champions their heart and their their actions of faith. So for a moment here, let's just read a few of these verses. In verse 7 of of Hebrews chapter 11, it says this. It says, By faith, Noah being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark. It says, By faith, Noah did this. In verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into the place and who would receive, an, uh, receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, but by faith he dealt in the land that was promised as in a foreign country. The Bible says here over in verse 11, it says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and have a child. The Bible says that she bore a child, and when she was past the age, she became judge, or she judged him faithful who had promised. Verse 20, it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. Verse 27, it says, By faith he, Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for, uh, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Verse 28, it says, By faith concerning the children of Israel and Moses, it says he kept the Passover and, sprinkled, uh, and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who had destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Verse 29, he says, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea unto dry land. Verse 30, it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho come falling down. And we continue to see over and over and over God championing their faith and saying, you guys were awesome. You guys had such great faith. And he recognized all those things that they did. Are you seeing that? But here's something that we also got to pay attention to is that we are reading this in the book of Hebrews. It's the New Testament. If you don't know your Bible that well, your Bible is divided into two sections. There's what is called the Old Testament and there is what is called the New Testament. The New Testament is the writings of God to us after Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the dead. The Old Testament or the Old Covenant is all those writings and all those history lessons that we have of God's people before Christ, right? And so here's the thing that I want to ask you. When we look at these individuals that he says by faith and by faith and by faith and he championed their faith, is that the whole story? No. 
Because if you go back into the Old Testament and you truly begin to read the stories of their account, it looks a whole lot different, doesn't it? We mentioned Noah. He says, who by faith Noah built an ark. But if you read the story, the Bible says that after they landed on dry land, he went off, stripped his clothes off, and got drunk. Say, man, it's enough time with my family. <laughs> Come on. Right? The, the Bible tells us concerning Concerning Abraham, the Bible says that he was the father of many nations and God championed his faith in the book of Hebrews. But do you recall over in the Old Testament when we started to look at the story of Abraham? It tells us that as he began to go into the land that God called him, he came into a land where there was a king that began to approach him. And he says, hey, Abraham, how you doing? He says, good. He says, is that your wife? He says, nope. Why? Because he was afraid that he would get killed. And as a result, that king took Abraham's wife as his own wife. Now, I don't know about you, but I would fight for my wife. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how ugly you are. I don't care if you have a a stick, a gun, a knife, whatever. I'll fight you for my wife. But Abraham gave up his wife. Come on. How many of you guys ever did that? You're like, man, I've been trying to get rid of her forever. (laughs) Listen, no, that's not what we're talking about. No, we fight for our our, our girls, right? But Abraham let the king take his own wife for his wife. Who does that? But did we see God mention that in the book of Hebrews? No. We see God championing their faith. Concerning Esau and Jacob, it says by faith he championed them. But the story tells us that the one brother swindled the other brother for his birthright. They went before their dad and they lied to their dad. Remember the story? But do we read that in the book of Hebrews? No. It says they had great faith. And then we read the story about Moses. Had great faith. But was their life without challenge? No. We'll come back to them in just a moment. But what's the difference What's the difference from the history lesson that we get in the Old Testament versus the writings that we have in the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews doesn't mention the past. It doesn't mention their failures. It doesn't mention all the things that they did to fail and disobey God. What's the difference? Because in the New Testament, God's seeing them through the blood of Jesus. He doesn't see their past. He doesn't see their faults. He doesn't see their failures. He just sees their faith and their heart towards God. Come on, that's good news. Amen. Because God doesn't look at us through our our past faults, failures, and the things that we did to disobey God. He sees us through the blood, through what Jesus came to do. Come on, that's good news. Well, let's go back and look at the story concerning Moses and the the people of God, the people of Israel. The Bible tells us that God delivered them and set them free. They were enslaved for 400 years and God finally set them free and they went out as free people. But just shortly after they were free from the bondage and the slavery of Egypt, the Bible says they started complaining. God, it's hot out here. Remember that? They're out there in the, in the wilderness, in the desert. It's hot, God. And God says, all right. He says, I'll give you a cloud by day that will follow you and keep you cool. 
You think, man, God's good. But evening came, God, it's cold. God says, all right. He said, well, I'll give you, give you a cloud by the day that will keep, give you shade. He says, but I'll give you fire. I'll give you a pillar of fire that will warm the entire nation of Israel. As they continued on their journey, God, we're hungry. And God says, okay, I'll send you manna. Sent them manna every day, fresh from heaven. And you think, wow, God, you're so good. But after manna, a couple days of that, God, we're hungry for something different. This man is not doing it. And God sent them quail. Quail came in and they fed themselves until they were full. And God continued to do that time and time and time again. But every time God did something, they complained and complained and complained. God, we're thirsty. He made water come from a rock. But they still complained. But when we step over here into the book of Hebrews, it says they had great faith. And by faith, they left Egypt. And by faith, they went through the wilderness. And by faith, they came up against Jericho and the walls fell. Why doesn't God mention any of their failures, any of their faults, any of the things that they did to disobey God? Because God's seeing them through the blood of Jesus. And he sees their faith and he sees their heart, not the mistakes that they made. Come on, you doing all right this morning? Again, let's continue to look at their story just a little bit more. In regards to their story, in their complaining, they continue to say, God, you've provided and you've taken care of us. And God didn't squabble at their complaining. He continued to bless them time and time and time again until they got to the point of where they got to a place in their life, they said, God, you've done very good up to this point. You've taken care of us. You got us free. You've provided cloud by the day. You've provided the fire by night. You've given us water out of the rock. But God, we got it from here. We can do it. We can take care of it. And God says, now listen, that changes the relationship. That changes the arrangement that we had. Because the arrangement was that I would be your God and that I would take care of you and that we would have a relationship. But now you've come to the place where you've said, God, we don't need you anymore. We can handle it. We can take care of this life by ourselves. And God says that changes our relationship. And the Bible says that God gave them the law. What was the law for? Was the law to punish them? Was it for them to say, God, you have been so hard on us? No, God says, listen, you want to live this life without me. Now let me show you what life really looks like without me. Because he says, the only way that you can be righteous and truly have a right relationship with me is if you keep this law. And the reason that the law was given was to prove to mankind that you can't do it without me. You need me. Are you here? But in regards to the law, the law always pointed to the failure. It always pointed to what you did wrong. It became religion. And unfortunately, that's what church has become in a lot of ways. 
And that's what people have thought about church. Those that have not attended church or don't understand church or have stayed away from church have had this mentality that when it comes to church, it's all about the do's and the don'ts and the religion and the things that I can't do. And that's never what God meant it for it to be. But because of living under this idea of I've got to do something to acquire God's love, it causes man to look at their failures. Let me give you an example. Now, I'm sorry if this offends anybody. This isn't meant to be so. It was the only thing as I'm putting my message together that really made sense. Because the law always draws you to that which is wrong. Now, fellas, I'm trusting that you can relate to this. And women, I trust that you can understand what I'm trying to say. But husbands and wives, you know how there's times when you're getting together or you're, you're getting ready for the day with your spouse. And it's typically the wife that as you're getting ready, the wife will say to you, don't look. Right? Guys, when your wife says, don't look, what do you do? I mean, immediately, she says, don't look. And you're like, oh, 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 no. Why? Because you said don't look. Well, why am I looking? Because you said don't do it. And I just want to. And that's what the law does. Don't do it. And immediately in our human nature says, oh, well, I want to do it. Right? And when you do it, it points out what you've done wrong. And therefore, it brings conviction and condemnation because the law always points to your failure in what you can't do of yourself. And that was the whole reason why God sent Jesus. Now, once again, let's just step back for a moment and look at God's people. Let's look at Israel. Because think about this. What was it that set them free? It was the final test of Egypt. And God says, death is coming to the firstborn. And he said, in order for death to pass your house, you've got to put blood on the doorpost or the mantle of your home. And with the blood being applied, death passed over. Right? And once the The blood was applied the very next morning. They were free people. Pharaoh finally says, I've had enough. I've seen the error of my ways and just get out of my sight. Right? But I want you to think about the people of Israel. They were people that were slaves. They were beaten down. They were poorer than poor. They were sick. There were those that were blind. There were those that were full of cancer and tumors and, and tuberculosis and, and, and leprosy. There were those that were lame that couldn't walk. They were a mess because of the life of slavery that they had experienced for 400 years. They went to bed the night that they applied the blood being just like they had always been. Sick, blind, lame, poor, hungry, hurting, dying. The next morning when they woke up, the Bible says 
that every single person was whole. The next morning, no one was blind. The next morning, no one was deaf. The next morning, no one was crippled. The next morning, no one had cancer. The next morning, nobody had leprosy. They were covered by the blood and they received their strength. And the next day, they were declared free from the slavery of Egypt. And they left not having one feeble among them. And the Bible also says, They didn't leave being poor. They left being very rich because Egypt gave them all the wealth, all the gold, and all the silver. What did they have to do in order to earn it? Nothing. They just applied the blood. I said they didn't have to do nothing. They just applied the blood. And the moment they applied the blood, the next day, completely whole. What do we do as human beings in the church today that has Christ as our sacrifice? That Jesus paid the price for our sin, shed his blood for us. We live this life continually seeing our failures, our faults, our shame. Our guilt. Why? Because for whatever reason, we have continued to walk back under this life of having to measure up, do something to qualify, or really subject myself to religious law. When the example was, they didn't do nothing other than applying the blood. See, You've looked at yourself in the mirror time and time again and said, I'm broke, I'm hurting, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I don't have my joy, we don't have any money, the doctors say I'm going to die, and you continually look at yourself through the natural man and say, God, I need you to do something. And God says, apply the blood. All you have to do is receive what I already came to do. Did the children of Israel have to do anything to receive their healing? No. They just took a step in the journey of being free people. If you've received Christ this morning, if you've received Christ and you're here today being a child of God, you do not have to do anything to earn what God has provided for you. So many times we're saying, God, I don't have it. I don't have it. Where's my joy? And God says, it's in you. Open your eyes. Recognize the blood has covered your past. And in fact, there is no past because the blood made it clean. Jesus came that we would have this relationship with God so that we could experience life and life more abundantly. And you don't have to do anything to earn it. You just got to be aware that it's available to you. Amen. When it comes to my physical body, why am I trying to earn God's uh, merits to do something? Begging, bawling, and squalling. You don't have to. I'll never forget this one person told me about a friend of theirs where they were praying for a, a, a child and they stayed up all night long bawling and squalling and boohooing and they thought it was such a noble thing that this person stayed up all night long praying 
Did you realize that praying all night long doesn't get you any closer to your answer than just saying, God, I receive what's already mine. I just step into my joy right now. I just step into my place of freedom. I just step into my place of receiving from you because you said Jesus already applied the blood. Can you say amen? Amen. When you wake up in the morning, remind yourself your past doesn't define you. When you wake up in the morning, look at yourself and say, no, you're whole, you're healthy, you're healed, you're in your right mind, your marriage is on a way of recovery, your children are doing what's right, things are being set in motion and God is moving on your behalf. Amen? Praise the Lord. And we don't have to earn it. If you recall, we started this series by making mention of Peter, that he was a man like us. That even after spending three years with Jesus and not truly knowing what Jesus came to do, he went back to the old life. When we continue to try to qualify ourselves or look at ourselves through our mistakes, the guilt in the past, you'll continually be drawn to go back to the old life. Because it will seem so hard. It will seem like, what's the use? What do I need to continue to do this for? Because I continually struggle. No. When Peter came in contact with the resurrected Jesus, his life was forever changed. And notice what he says here. We shared this verse with you last time, or I should say a couple weeks ago. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it says, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who calls us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, the promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, have escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Notice it says he's given us exceedingly great and precious promises. And the Bible says that all of God's promises are yes and amen. He didn't say they're conditional upon whether you qualify. All of God's promises are yes and amen. Come on. God says, don't look at your bank account as though you have to do something about it in the sense that you've got to uh, uh, acquire great wealth through your own merits. You've got to use common sense and be good stewards. But God says, I'll make you rich if you'll just trust me. When you go to the doctors and the doctor says, we don't have an answer. We're leaving you for dead. There's no hope for you. There is hope in God because his promises are yes and amen. Not based upon whether you deserve it or not. Jesus shed his blood. So all we have to do is say, God, I apply the blood of Jesus to my life and therefore I qualify. And I receive it now. When it comes to your marriage and you're saying, God, I want more in my marriage. All of God's promises are yes and amen. Am I helping somebody here this morning? If you recall, Israel continually looked back. And says, wasn't it better when we were in Egypt? At least we had onions and leeks to eat every day. Peter, when Jesus was departed for those three days, the Bible says that 
Peter went back to his own life. We say, oh, summer's never going to be here. And it shows up and we start complaining. Oh, dear God, how hot is it? All the grass we got to cut. We've said that this year is a year that we're making room for God. We said that this year is a year that we are breaking the back of lack. We've been talking about we are taking back what the enemy has stolen. I want to encourage you, see yourself and have God's thoughts about you rather than what everything else and everybody else tells you. Because God's promises are yes and amen. It's only through Jesus that we will find love. It's only through Jesus that we'll find peace, that we'll find joy, that we'll find patience, that we'll experience self-control. It's only through Him and if we'll make room for Him. I'm going to give you a couple different scenarios here. And maybe you can begin to pinpoint yourself. Have you been living your life like the people of Israel where they say, God, I've got it. I've got it from here. Or have you begun to make room for your life? You might say, well, I'm not really sure. Let me ask you the question. Are you full of anxiety? Are you full of fear? Are you chronically sick? Are you continually angry and have hurt? Do you feel the pressures of life continually? Do you feel that money is always an issue? Does your past continually haunt you? Does substance in addiction always pull on you to find some kind of relief in it because I don't seem to have the peace and the joy that I'm looking for? Are you overwhelmed with the busyness of life? If you can say yes to one or more of those, then it's time to take it back. It's time to take back your joy. Just as I was getting ready this morning, I believe the Lord gave me a couple examples here. Life has a way of putting pressure on you, doesn't it? Sam, will you open this up for me, please? No? Why would you not open that? It's full, isn't it? But the pressure has built up. And if you try to open it up, what's going to happen? It's going to explode. We've lived our marriages... Our church life, our life with our kids, our money, and allowing the pressure of this world to build up on the inside, and it just takes that one person and we explode. The Bible says don't be conformed to this world by pressure, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
I have another bottle. Hopefully you can see it. It's not all the way full. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, there's always pressure that's going to come that is going to try to get you to look at you for who you are and not what He has done or who He is. And God says, if you'll purpose to renew your mind, come into my presence, if you'll seek my face, He says, you can take the lid off and there's no internal pressure at all. But now watch. See, it's not all the way full, is it? But here's the thing. When external pressure comes and starts to put the squeeze on you, what happens? What's on the inside rises to the top. And then there is no more room for anything else to come in. So rather than relying on your strength... God says, I've already put it on the inside of you. You've got joy. You've got peace. You've got stability. You've got soundness of mind. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit. When external pressure comes, let it fall. Let it come to the top. Let it respond that way. And if you allow yourself to get full of Him, there's no more room for anything else. It will bubble over. Amen. Amen. Not only to affect your life, but those that are around you. Amen. Come on, God's got so much on the inside of you. And it's just a matter of us to say, God, I receive the gift. I apply the blood of Jesus. I thank you for the power of God that's already on the inside of me working. Patience, joy, peace, self-control, kindness. It's in me. Amen. Let's stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you continually feel the pressure of life, the pressure of money, the burden of work, the burden of family, of kids, of marriage, of everything that is in your life. It seems like it's overwhelming. Then I want to encourage you right now, make the choice. God, I am making room for you. Rather than looking to the quick fix to numb the pain, to go to the substance, to go to the drink, to go to the drugs, don't settle for the counterfeit. Go to the one that says, I will give you peace beyond all understanding. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ into your life, I want to give you that opportunity to say, I want that joy. I want that peace in my life. I'm tired of doing it my way. God, I'm ready to give my life to you. And church family, if you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm tired of doing this life by myself, I continually take it back from God. I sing the song, Jesus, take the wheel. But before I know it, I got the wheel in my hands again. If you're ready to say, God, I'm ready to take the passenger seat and let you drive. I want to give you the opportunity to say, God, this is my moment. This is my hour. And today is my declaration day. So in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand. I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, I want you to raise it high. If you're here for the very first time and you say, I want to receive Christ. I've never done that before. I want to give you that opportunity. 
And when I get to three, you raise your hand high. If you're here this morning and you say, this is my church. I serve God. I know God, but I've been doing it my way, but I'm ready today. This is my declaration day. When I get to three, I want you to raise your hand loud and proud. Every eye closed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up front. I'm not going to call you out. This is between you and God. I just want to be able to recognize you by the uplifting of your hand. On the count of three, one, two, three, raise your hands. Amen. Hands up all over. Hold them up. If that's you and you say, yep, I I want that. Listen, nobody's judging. Nobody's making any declarations about you. You're just saying, I'm ready to give it to God. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You can put them down. Twelve. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's take it back right now. It's just that easy to say today is the day. You ready? Pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe in you. And I believe in Jesus, that he took my place, paid my price, shed his blood. And I now say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. I right now declare the blood of Jesus to cover my life, erase my past. The shame, the guilt, everything is now covered by the blood. And I choose right now. This is my declaration day. I choose to be free. No longer bound. I'm taking it back. I'm taking my joy. I'm taking my peace. I'm taking my own self-control this morning in Jesus' name. Now let's give Him praise. Amen, amen. Father, we... subscribe to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites which can be found at our website gvchurch.tv we know that today's message has been a blessing to you thanks for listening we are genesee valley church loving god loving people and loving life